Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Uh, yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Today's broadcast is episode number 135, and today's date is Friday, July 17, 2009. My name is Cliff Slotnick, or the Z-Man. Radio Joe Hughes will be participating remotely today from Studio C. The always lovely environmental Ann Koalecki is in the studio, of course. Thanks, and, Cliff. How you doing? Good. And our wingman, Chris Boisel, is at the controls. Good afternoon. Today's segments include the microband trivia question, an interview with business expert Steve Toburin, a technical topic presented by Andy Robinson from John Don, comments by technical director Dr. Dieter Weil, and the roundup. Radio Joe and I, along with the wingman's help, have been working on the IEQRadio.com site, adding a blog after each show. We also have changed the invitations and news announcements from IEQ Radio and IEQ Training, and we hope you like them. Now we'd like to thank our sponsors. We're delighted to have as our first association sponsor the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iqa.org. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dryease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dryease is first in drying solutions. Visit them at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Contacting the show is easy. By phone, simply call 724-444-7444 and enter our show ID, which is 1547. Press 1 and join the show. You can also download the show by going to our website, www.iqradio.com, and following the link that says go to the show. Or you can get the show from iTunes. Remember, you can get your IICRC Continuing Education Credits or IAQ Council Renewal Credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting a quiz. 
Radio Joe's email is joe.hughes at ieqtraining.com. To make suggestions, special requests, or ask technical questions, you can either email Radio Joe or the Z-Man at cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. Last but not least, please visit the IEQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at ieqtraining.com. Listeners, you can win a cool prize by outcompeting IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question. Submitting your answer is easy. Simply email it to cliffslotnick at unsmoke.com. We had an anonymous correct answer for last week's trivia question, and we asked the guest who provided that correct answer to simply uh, email me their contact information so we can send them their prize. Now for the microband trivia question for Friday, July 31st, 2009. As the subject of today's show is business, the topic for today's trivia question is also business. We ask you to name both the person and country of origin for the founder of the Giordano clothing brand. Okay. Our guest today is Steve Tobiran. Steve Tobiran has spent over 20 years down in the trenches of the cleaning industry as the owner of different janitorial carpet cleaning and restoration firms. His flagship cleaning and restoration company grew into a nationally recognized operation based on its high per capita profits in a very small market base of only 30,000 people. 18 years ago, at the young age of 38, Steve sold his company and retired full-time from business. He now lives in the Dominican Republic where he and his family work in a volunteer service to the people there. Since 1996, Steve has served as Director of Training for John Don's five-day Strategies for Success or SFS program, which now has more than 2,000 lifetime members. Good day, Steve, and thank you for joining us today on IAQ Radio. Uh, here's your intro music. Steve, uh, I noticed that you use the word success a lot, including in the name of your program, Strategies for Success. Um, they also use the name Partners for Success. So, Steve, what does the word success mean to you? Well, good question, Cliff. And first of all, uh, hello, and thank you very much for letting me be on the program. Uh, it's, it's really a privilege. Um, so the word success... You know, and of course, neither I or anybody at John Don is going to be arrogant enough to start defining success for anyone else. Um, I think for me and what we promote in the strategies program is success just means having the financial, emotional, and let's not forget financial resources to live the rest of your life in exactly the way you choose to live it, which may include uh, um, 
pushing a scrub wand or moving air movers or doing indoor air quality till you're 85, but being able to choose. And, and I think that's a, a pretty good definition of the success, being able to live the rest of your life in exactly the manner you choose to live it. And frankly, very few people in our industries ever achieve that definition of success. So, you know, Steve, a lot of our listeners read business books. They've invested in tapes and seminars by motivational speakers. They've tried to incorporate, you know, some of these suggestions in their business, and they continually end up in the same rut. You know, do you have any suggestions for getting out of the rut? Well, Cliff, the first thing I'd say is don't stop. <laughs> don't stop. Uh, don't stop investing in tapes. Don't stop investing in seminars. Don't stop reading books. And I'm not saying that because I'm in the educational industry. I'm saying it because even though you think that you're in the same rut, all this stuff has a cumulative effect. It does stay in your brain. Um, how bad would things be if you hadn't invested in this stuff? But, uh, okay, let's say that, you know, you've gone to seminars, you've, gone, you've invested in uh, uh, audio courses, you've, you've read the books, and you wake up a year from now or a year later and you go, wow, nothing's changed. Well, at that point, and, you know, I'm kind of a maverick here, but maybe at that point, you need to redefine what success is for you and quit trying to be something you're not. Maybe you need, I won't say scale back, but I will say maybe you need to change what you're aiming for. In other words, look for your comfort level. That's what's so wonderful about this industry. We have so many different types of success out there. You don't, all of us don't have to be a huge, huge multi-city, multi-branch operation. And um, the second thing I would say, okay, maybe you say, no, I've got to get bigger. I've got to, you know, I've, I want to become an absentee owner. Well, at that point, make yourself an action plan. That's what we promote in strategies. We force our students to make an action plan where for the next six months, they have to write down, the not, not just something general, but exact. Okay, I'm going to implement a phone script on the 15th of February and then make yourself accountable and give that list to somebody else. We have in strategies that list goes to the account rep. So now the account rep of that, our attendee is calling them and saying, Joe, you said you were going to have a phone script on the 15th of the month. How are you coming on that? Um, I think the big problem, Cliff, is A, people don't set priorities, and B, people are not, don't hold themselves accountable. And that's why they wind up in the same rut, and I'm sorry to go on so long. That's okay. That's perfect. Yeah. Why are business owners in the cleaning and restoration industry enthralled with technical training and seemingly adverse to business training? Ah, good question. Um, well, you know, to quote uh, Michael Gerber of the E-Myth, I really think it's because most of us, A, are uh, men, and men like technical stuff, and we like equipment, we like toys, we're much more comfortable with that than all the other side of business. And the second reason is most of us enter the industry from a technical standpoint. We're technicians. Most of us started out as technicians. And we, unfortunately, a lot of us never leave that background. We, 
we still continue uh, looking at things from the production standpoint because, frankly, that's the easy stuff. The hard stuff is moving into three areas. The marketing, B, the management of other people, and C, and this kind of sums up the previous two, what I call the emotional dynamics of business, which is dealing with the sensitivities of your employees and your customers, especially in the traumatized area of the restoration customer. And that's where that's where we fall down because we don't like that stuff. It's easier to do what I call hiding out in the technical world. Joe. Steve, uh, thanks thanks again for joining us. This is Joe. Um, Hi, Joe. I, I see a text question on here, and I, I think you kind of answered it, but not as directly as maybe um, the guest would like. What do you see as the most common weakness in – I guess, businesses or the leaders of businesses who attend your SFS course? I think the biggest common weakness is, and it gets back to, I have to think on that one, Joe. I would say the biggest common weakness we see out there is uh, what I call displacement activities. In other words, you know, especially, well, not not just when you're starting out. Every day in business, I think you should be asking yourself as the owner or the manager of any business, but especially in restoration and IAQ-type businesses, which typically are highly stressful, highly leveraged, very demanding, I think you need to be asking yourself one question at all times during the day. What is my highest and best use? Um, where is my highest and best use? Now, you, you say, well, that's simple. But it's not so simple, Joe, and I'll tell you why. Because there's two dangers to your putting yourself in your highest and best use. One is what um, uh, Stephen R. Covey calls the important versus the urgent. And since already, by definition, most of us are in a crisis-driven business, we tend to get detoured off into the urgent stuff instead of focusing on the important stuff. And the second thing to answer your question is we also engage in what I call displacement activities. And a displacement activity is something where we're in our comfort zone, such as the technical stuff, when we really should our higher and better use is making sales calls or reviewing our profit and loss uh, sheet, things like that. So does that answer the question more specifically, Joe? Yeah, I think it does, and, and maybe I could follow up here real quick, Steve. Um, you say displacement activities. It made me think of the hours a day I spend on email, and maybe that wasn't what you meant by that. Do you have any tips for people on how to better manage their time spent on, now we've got, you know, we've got email, we've got, some people Twitter, some people do the MySpace. And, you know, Cliff and I have dabbled in that a little bit because of the, the radio show more so than anything. But do you have any suggestions for how to best manage time at those types of tasks? Yeah, and, you know, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody, uh, Joe. And it's because we get addicted. Uh, we get addicted to the social side of it. Um, you know, uh, you take like the industry bulletin boards out there and 
And don't even bring up the tweeting and the twittering because I'm, I'm refusing to go there as of yet. <laughs> uh, don't, don't even start my wife on that subject. Uh, worst thing that uh, John Don ever did for my marriage is when they bought me a mobile broadband card. So yesterday, my wife, I forced her to drive all the way across Kansas while I was on industry bulletin boards and emailing people. So don't get Sue started on this. Um, I, you know, seriously, the thing to do, and it gets back to accountability and self-discipline and blocking your time. In other words, make a firm vow to yourself, to your partner, to your wife, and say, okay, uh, for example, Tuesday morning, I am doing nothing but making sales calls. It's what I always used to call my DSM, my dedicated sales morning. And what that meant was that starting at 8.30 in the morning, I did not rest, I did not eat, I did not drink until I had contacted 20 new prospective clients. I had to do that. And in the same way, you know, you might have your dedicated, uh, your dedicated financial analysis morning. And in other words, you know, there's no magic bullets out there. Uh, we're dealing with simple law of physics, Joe, you know, uh, X number of minutes per day and also, frankly, X amount of uh, physical and emotional energy and concentration. But it gets back to A, priorities, and B, self-discipline. And I really like blocking time because you get addicted. You, you post something on a bulletin board or you send an email, and you're thinking uh, half an hour later, let me go check. Well, okay, so you go check. But you don't, don't just check that. You're also, you know, checking, responding to other emails, checking bulletin boards, and all of a sudden you've peed away. Can I say that word, peed? Sure. Uh, uh, yeah, we can say anything we want. Uh, <laughs> but you've, you've, peed away, you've peed away an hour. And I think that's what, I don't know, does that make sense, Joe? I, I'm sorry, I'm not a magic bullet type of guy, but that's what I do. No, I force myself to block my time. That's uh, it's something I'm going to have to uh, really work on. It, and you're correct; it is addicting, and it's because it is social. And you know, you're talking about business as well. But it, it's like somebody said here, I uh, guess 13. You know, we do the easy, familiar stuff instead of what we need to do. And the easy, familiar stuff is sometimes being online, chatting about what's going on in the industry instead of making something happen. Yeah, and 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 the problem is. I think it was Mark Twain, uh, Joe, who said, you know, in the course of normal events, if you must lie to others, do so, but never, ever lie to yourself. And, you know, we lie to ourselves. We get involved in this displacement activity. We spend, we think, 8, 10, 12 hours a day on business. But when you look back at the end of the day, if you look back at your last 12 hours, what percentage of your time did you spend on where you were engaged in your highest and best use? And my guess is for most of us, and I include myself in this, the results would be shocking if you'd really put the uh, magnifying glass on it. You know, speaking of highest and best use, I'm bad at math and I'm bad at handling money, and I think a lot of our listeners are as well. Does that mean we're doomed to fail in business? Oh, um, maybe not. Maybe not. You know, uh, now, obviously, 
obviously it's important. And I would even say today in the current battered economy, it's even essential to A, uh, get a handle on your overhead. And incidentally, not just your overhead in business, your personal expenses overhead, especially if you run a small company. You know, we tend to commingle funds. And I'm amazed, don't let, me, don't, uh, don't let me go off on a tangent here, but I'm amazed at how Americans have gotten addicted to a high standard of personal living. Uh, everybody, I swear, people think it's their God-given right to eat out five to seven times a week. Um, and, you know, if you can do that, and if that's how you want to spend your money, great. But if your business is struggling, and, you know, you might want to take a look not just at your business overhead, but look at how you can trim your personal overhead. But let me get back on track. I'm sorry, Cliff, on getting on handling money and bad at math. Um, what I would say to that is, no, you don't have to be, you're not doomed to failure but you're probably doomed to mediocrity because Chuck Violand, one of our instructors in the strategy seminar, he says every number tells a story. And that is so true. And I was bad at, I was not as good as I should have been on the number side of my business, Cliff. But today, you've got to anticipate what's coming at you down the road. And the way you do that is looking back at your financials and specifically you're looking at percentages don't let sheer numbers fool you look at the percentages there and then once again what I'm what I would always say I used to have an office manager her name was Kay and she was a sweet woman but way over her head as we grew and here's one thing she would call me I'd be on vacation somewhere and she'd say Steve Steve I'm so excited uh, we've got $50,000 in the business checking account, which, you know, for a company my size, that was a substantial amount. And I, I would always say back to her, I'd say, Kay, I don't care. Tell me what's in the pipeline. And that, Cliff, you know, okay, maybe you're, you're not going to always be the financial CPA genius that you think you should be but you do need to know what's in the pipeline and not just on what is the income potential, the work in progress. You also need to know what your uh, payables are in progress, including, of course, uh, Nick Palella would want me to mention your outstanding account with John Dunn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have to, I have to do a quick comment here. Cliff is a very successful businessman, and um, he found a way around those problems with math. He married a wonderful lady named Judy, who is very good with the math and the other <laughs> things. And I think that quite uh, fixed that problem quite well. Thank you. Well, and that's absolutely if you can if you can find a strategic partner like uh, Judy, wonderful. Let me just make one other mention of something that I used a lot in my my business, Cliff, because I got to tell you after spending 8, 10, 12 hours on the wand, making sales calls, running around, doing inspections, the last thing I want to do is go home and pour through uh, an inch and a half of financial reports. And my guess is most of our listeners don't either. What I did was implement something called my weekly flash report. And what that was was a one-page, one-page document 
that gave me what I called the State of the Union Address on a weekly basis of my business. And in that report, I had it on my desk every Tuesday morning when I walked in. In other words, my staff all day Monday were pulling together the stuff for the previous week. I wanted to know everything that had happened of value for my business over the last week and what was in the pipeline. And I will mention, I've got that report available for a free download on our strategiesforsuccess.com website. Um, download it. The only thing I ask is if anybody downloads it and puts it into use, let me know how it works and give me your modifications on how you made it better. Steve, I've heard of some business owners say, instead of running my business, my business is now running me. How do they get in that spot, and how can they be helped? How did they get it in the spot? They got in that spot because they made two critical mistakes. Uh, the first mistake is they, from the get-go, they viewed the business as a job. In other words, they started the business just as a means to an end, to um, eat, to pay the rent, etc. And frankly, my guess is most of us listening in today did that. I sure did. I mean, my entire business goals when I started out in business way back, almost 40 years ago, was just two things. Put food on the table, work as little as possible, and I had one other goal, ski full-time on my season ski pass at Purgatory Ski Area. And... Um, that still sounds like a pretty good lifestyle. But uh, the problem is, and here's the first problem, too many people, they grow, they expand, and they never change that. And therefore, what leads to is the second thing, they never achieve what I call critical mass and capitalize those two words, critical mass in their company, critical mass in employees so that the employees are now delegated and assigned to handle these crises and nothing critical mass in terms of procedures and systems, what we call the business infrastructure, and critical mass financially so the business is not constantly operating in crisis mode. I mean, my partner and I can never, I'll never forget, we were partners in um, St. Augustine, Florida, way back in the early 70s. Then I went off, got married, moved to Durango, Colorado, and uh, started another business. He came out and bought in with me, and I can still recall, this was probably mm, 1978, and he made the revolutionary, revolutionary suggestion to me, Steve, you know, at the end of the month, I think we ought to leave $1,000 in the business checking account instead of just splitting it up and each of us taking half. And uh, I thought, well, that's incredible. And, you know, so I guess critical mass in three areas, critical mass in terms of employees that you can count on and that are assigned responsibilities, critical mass in terms of systems and procedures, and critical mass financially so you're not behind the uh, eight ball. And if you have those things, then you're not, you're going to be able to be what we call it strategies if you choose an absentee owner. In other words, it means you don't have to be there grinding, pushing, slaving, fighting, kicking, clawing 24-7. And that's a pretty good definition of success. 
Steve, can you explain how a firm's customers view their company? Now, I'm sorry, Cliff. In other words, can I explain how, uh, for example, my customers, what they how they arrive at their perception of my company? Is that is that your point? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and well, okay. And let's let's for I realize, especially with IAQ, we're dealing with a, a huge spectrum. But I think one common denominator most of our listeners have is that most of us work at least some of the time in the residential environment, uh, what we call I call the home front in the SFS program. So if we could just kind of focus on that, and especially when you're working with homeowners. And this has been proven again and again, Cliff, that 80%, actually over 80% of how a homeowner decides in any service being performed in their home, whether it's a good job or a bad job, whether it's a good company, a bad company, over 80% is based on the relationship they have and how they feel about the person doing the work. Not necessarily about you as the owner, unless you're actually doing the work, but very frankly, how they feel about that 22-year-old technician you picked up out of the gutter somewhere, put a uniform on him, showed him how to uh, trigger a wand or wipe down a wall or how to change out ductwork, and you said, go get him, Tiger. And I personally find that a very frightening prospect because... The customer is basing their perceptions not on me, not on my certifications, not on my company. They're basing their perceptions of the job on the, how they feel about the technician or the employee working in their uh, working in their home or in their business. Okay, well, I think we're about at halftime, and it's probably a good good point to, to to break. So, Steve, please hang on with us. Um, okay. Let's let's see if we've got Andy. Andy, we got you. We're going to go for a restoration moment to restoration products manager at John Don, Andy Robinson. Andy, you there? Hey, good morning, Cliff. How are you, sir? Good, good. Well, I guess as restoration products manager for the leading supplier to the cleaning and restoration industry, when new techniques surface, uh, you're probably personally all over it. Uh, this heat drying is a buzz now. Uh, what have you learned about heat drying? Uh, great question. Excuse me. Great uh, question, Cliff. Um, here's here's what my thought is. Uh, I definitely believe that heat drying is not just a fad in the industry. You know, we see technologies come into the market and leave the market. It may be short term. Uh, heat drying is definitely uh, not a fad. It's something that we believe is a another viable option to the residential and commercial drying applications. Um, I definitely believe that uh, heat drying is here to stay, Cliff. It's uh, not a short-term uh, product in the marketplace. Uh, we believe that there really have been a lot of misconceptions in the industry pertaining to heat drying. 
Um, I believe a lot of the misconceptions have been fueled by manufacturers, suppliers that have had self-serving agendas. Uh, I believe that uh, these agendas have made heat drying out to be more than it is. Um, you know, at John Don, uh, we've really taken our time in researching the heat drying industry. We wanted to make sure that it wasn't a, just a short-term trend cliff. Uh, over the last three years, we've really looked at all the different uh, systems that are currently in the marketplace. Uh, we've looked at hydronic systems, we've looked at indirect fired, and we've looked at direct fired systems. Uh, we definitely feel that uh, all the systems have merit, but we also understand that each type of system will also have their own uh, limitations along the way. Uh, another thing that we've learned about the different heat systems is uh, we've gone out uh, onto job sites with our existing clientele that have had different systems, Cliff. Uh, in doing so, it's, it's really easy to see that there are major performance differences in all the different uh, heat systems that are currently in the marketplace. Uh, the customers that use heat, in my opinion, are really very educated and some of them have had uh, multiple types of different heat systems, and they clearly understand the differences in the performance and the ease of setup from unit to unit. There's definitely some uh, uh, disparity from unit to unit. Uh, one of the things I'm really pleased to announce uh, today, though, Cliff, is that uh, John Dunn is committed to offering heat drying systems to our clientele. Uh, we have taken a uh, direct-fired uh, unit uh, offered by RX Heat, that we feel is currently the best system for both large and small-scale jobs. Uh, we're also committed to offering our clientele heat-drying uh, solutions in both uh, small portable-type systems for uh, smaller residential applications also, not just the uh, larger behemoth systems where heat-drying can be implemented. Uh, I really look forward to sharing uh, you know, with the listeners uh, of your show in future segments, Cliff, uh, the applications uh, pertaining to heat drying and the differences uh, between systems that are currently in the uh, marketplace. Well, Andy, that's why uh, you know we're glad uh, to, you know to bring you back and just let me know when you want to schedule these, and uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll certainly put it on the agenda. Thanks for joining us. Please hang around for the roundup at the end if you could, Andy. I appreciate. Sure. That. Well, thanks, Cliff. Okay. Well, let's go back to uh, let's go back to our guest, uh, Steve Toburin. Steve, uh, you know, we talk about strategies for success. Um, could you just reiterate the key strategies for success that you've identified? Well, I think probably uh, one of the best things to say is um, about a strategy for success in, in, in the industries we're in. And, and basically, Cliff, the vast majority of the people listening to this are in some form of restoration. And when we deal with restoration, we're dealing with traumatized, beat-up individuals, especially homeowners, but very frankly, in any sort of uh, environment, uh, whether it's institutional, hospital, college, business, when it's suffered a sudden disaster, you're dealing with what I call seriously messed up people. And when you're dealing with that, you've got to uh, – here's one of my favorite sayings. If you want a key strategy for success, run your business based on the emotions of your customers, but never make business decisions emotionally. Let me break that apart. Okay, the first part is run your business based on the emotions of your customers. And one thing we do in the strategy seminar is we spend hours – 
breaking down and analyzing the emotions of our typical customer. And it's not a pretty scene there. When you look at the emotions of a typical restoration client, you're going to find fear, anger, suspicion, uh, cynical people, beat up people, confused people, suspicious people. And very honestly, you're going to find a, a lot of guilt there too because many times the reason we're in the home or the reason we're in the business is because the owner did something stupid. So you've got all of these negative emotions floating around and what we've got to do, and if you, if you want to you know, just focus on this, we've got to come up with a way to give these people good, solid feelings, uh, good feelings about our company. We're going to come in and we're going to take care of them. We're going to hand, hold their hand. We're going to reassure them. They can trust us. They can count on us. And you have to build systems in place and a culture in place to do this, not just through you, but if you ever plan to get off the truck, to do it through your employees. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Now, the second part of that was, the first part, remember, was run your business based on the emotions of your uh, customers. Second one is never make business decisions emotionally. And as entrepreneurs, I think we're guilty of this far too often. Uh, instead of remembering that every number tells a story and running our business based on numbers, we just fly off the handle, we make rash decisions, we spend too much on some things, we don't invest enough in others, and I think where a lot of us, including myself, fail greatly is in dealing with our employees. Uh, some of our employees we don't reward enough, we don't stroke enough, we don't care for enough, and other employees are still with us that we should have fired five or ten years ago. So there's kind of a general basic thing that I love in business and we, we promote to our members is run your business based on the emotions of your customers, but never make business decisions emotionally. Okay, Annie. Do you have any suggestions for unique pricing strategies for disaster repair business? Ooh, well, <laughs> you threw me a tough one there. <laughs> and and you know I'm not I'm not an expert uh, certainly on the latest ins and outs of um, what restoration firms are facing out there. But on the other hand, you know I spent a lot of years down in the trenches, and uh, even better. We have over 2,000 members in our strategies network that I'm in daily contact on. Um, so, you know, I feel a lot of pain out there. And one thing we say, what I suggest, is you talk about unique pricing strategies. I net, and, and, you know, some people may come unglued on this, but I suggest, unless you absolutely are forced into it, don't argue price with an adjuster. Don't argue price. In other words, if the adjuster says, I'll only, uh, this happened to me a lot, he'd say, well, I'll only allow you X amount uh, for wall cleaning. And I would go, well, you know, Xactimate says this. Yeah, 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 but, you know, I don't care. Blue Books, I don't care. This is what I can pay. And unless it was absurd, I would just say, okay, all right, we'll try it one time. But then what I would do is I'd go somewhere else. 
and I would uh, raise the pricing somewhere else. In other words, any good adjuster knows, uh, as one adjuster friend I worked for for many years, he'd say, Steve, I know you got to make money, but I don't want you to make all your money on me on this job. And so essentially what I worked for was a partnership partnership for, sorry a partnership type relationship where if the adjuster or the agent needed me to make an adjustment one time okay if uh, they're over their reserves if uh, they set their if they set their numbers too low I might work with them on that but but hey take care of me next time and they'd even say that to me um, but once again it's a little bit like in my feeling uh, especially in water losses, you know, this is where you get a lot on the rentals and the amount of equipment. Um, and they'll say, well, I only pay this much. Okay, all right. But you know what I might do? I might bump my amount of equipment, or I might increase my days, or I'm going to increase my mitigation pricing. Or there's always some way. I usually, unless they be, were just total idiots, I tried to avoid getting down in the dirt with them and arguing over two cents a square foot. So I don't know. Does that answer the question? I think it does. I think it does. Uh, Joe. Yes, uh, Steve. If you go back for a moment to the emotion uh, question that was brought up and, and your comments on that. I just had really more of a comment than anything. That is also very applicable with um, people doing indoor air quality consulting. And I just saw today that... Um, there was a news release. There's a school in Greensboro, North Carolina, that um, there's been quite a bit of publicity about because they've had a lot of um, significant health problems, and these aren't just people saying they have a problem. They're verified by doctors, and they um, have been trying to figure out what the problems are for quite some time. And when you went through those range of emotions, I could, you know, I could picture these people who are very upset about this situation because their kids are in this school going through all those same emotions and I can also see how some of the people who initially responded didn't respond properly according to the emotions that that you know were going on at the time and probably made some really bad decisions fortunately I can report to listeners that that school has now been evaluated by a professional team from NIOSH and they have found there are some significant dampness problems I'm going to call them a lot of people will call them mold problems I think it's dampness more than mold and uh, they seem to have really helped calm things down by bringing in a very professional team that did a thorough investigation of the area and getting rid of some of the people who were just really instead of trying to calm the emotions of the people we're actually stirring them up even more hmm yeah and I, I see that so much Joe just to comment on that uh, I see that a lot in the especially in the insurance industry um, adjusters will take due to be, being totally clueless totally clueless on the emotional dynamics of what the customer is going through they'll go into a difficult situation and they'll make it infinitely worse for everybody involved because they're refusing to address the people emotionally. And um, I spoke on that years ago. I was the keynote at um, one of the huge industry insurance gatherings, 
and all, everybody. You know, they, they have the vice presidents there. These, these companies write billions every year in property losses. And I spoke about it, and everybody clapped, and then nobody did anything. It was a complete waste of my time. So uh, I've, I couldn't agree more with you. I do have another quick question as far as, um, like, I don't know what we would call the, the uh, it's not the business plan, but the, the business statement that people make, the mission statement, I guess, for businesses. Are you a big guy on mission statements for businesses, and, and why or why not? Oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with mission statements. I don't think we ever had one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honest to gosh, I mean, you know, and maybe I shouldn't say this. I mean, you know, my bosses at John Don, they sometimes they just cringe at the stuff I come up with because I'm sort of a loose cannon. Uh, but I think that's part of the appeal of strategies. We we just tell it like it is. And I never had a mission statement, and yet we were hugely successful. And, and my mission statement was visually to myself, emotionally. I visualized myself every day as a gunslinger a cowboy gunslinger, and I buckled on my six-shooters, and I walked into a new and strange town every day. And not only did I try to survive, I just tried to do the very best I could and make cheerleaders out of each and every one of my customers and each and every one of my employees every day. And that's what I did, day in, day out. Um, but by golly, you know, if somebody wants to have a mission statement, including a personal one for their own personal life, I think it's great. But, you know, to answer your question, Joe, I never did. Well, let me uh, let me just follow up a little on the strategies for success in general. And um, it seems like a big part of the success, and I, I saw one of the, uh, I don't know if you see these, but... Um, there's a note from my listeners saying it's the only course in the industry that they've never heard anything negative about. Um, all the instructors involved are, are outstanding. I, I've noticed that you stay in contact with these 2,000 people. Is that a big part of the program and the reason for people being as happy with the program as they are? I think so. I, I, and I think... Remember, uh, Joe, we don't really view ourselves as competing um, with other seminars or other programs or other mentors out there. Frankly, we tell our members, you know, the problem is a lot of the other programs out there, they're very, very uh, cliquish. They're very defensive. They don't want to expose their members to other groups. We don't feel that way at all. We, we say, hey, Come from anywhere and go anywhere. The more you get, the better. And I think the reason for that is, very frankly, Joe, we have at Strategies an unfair advantage. And this probably is why people are so happy with what we give them. And you know what the unfair advantage is? We lose money on every seminar we give. And we lose a lot of money. And therefore, because we lose so much money, and we know we're going to lose money going in, there's zero pressure to buy anything. There's no requirements to uh, buy to stay as a member. You attend strategies, and you are a member for life, whether you buy $10,000 a year from John Dunn or zero. We'll still take care of you. 
when people call me as part of our free mentoring program, I don't even know how much they buy from us. If they're a strategies member, we'll help them. We'll, we'll consult for them. We'll, uh, we'll mail them our, our four times a year, the, the new procedures and systems. They have access into our strategies website. And we, it's what I call our throw your bread on the waters and it will come back to you many times over approach. And of course, Nick Bellella says, well, it'd be nice if they buy stuff. <laughs> but they don't have to. <laughs> you know, he he doesn't turn down orders. But there, I think that's probably why the program is so popular, because we don't uh, we don't put our hand in the pockets of our members. Uh, there's zero pressure. There's zero sales pitches. There's zero requirements to buy. But uh, the reason John Dunn came up with this program 13, almost 14 years ago, is. We saw that our average customer was not growing, not because they didn't work hard, but because they didn't have the tools to grow. So what we try to do is give them the business infrastructure and the concepts, the procedures and the systems to grow, and then hopefully as they grow, well, they'll take us along for the ride. They'll buy more uh, air movers from Andy. They'll buy more dehumidifiers. They'll buy more truck mounts. They'll buy more chemicals. And then we all make more money. So I think that's maybe why uh, we have an unfair advantage over a lot of the other programs out there because right from the get-go, we plan to lose money uh, from the start, and including in the support. And, yes, uh, Bill Yaden, uh, myself, if you're a strategies member, you can call us, you can email us, and we will get back to you, and we will give you free consultation, no charge, and that's it doesn't matter how much you buy from John Dunn. Now, strategies is somewhat geared toward the restoration business, I'm assuming, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I could see where a program like that would be very valuable for people who are in the indoor air quality consulting and or remediation business as well. Any plans on that, or do you feel that the program already would work well for those type of people? You know, actually, Joe, the program is pretty much structured in the day-to-day -day vocabulary when we teach it of more toward carpet cleaning. However, we have had, um, we have had or have delivered the same basic program to uh, everybody from IAQ to janitorial to restoration to chimney sweeping to plumbing to pest control. And you know what? It's universal. It's universal. Uh, if somebody attends strategies, for example, that's in um, restoration, all they have to do is mentally, when we're going over these key concepts, is when we say carpet cleaning, go restoration. And I have... We've had, as you mentioned, over 2,000 uh, people attend this course, and we have a 100% guarantee back, money back guarantee, and not one person has ever exercised that. And the reason why this is stuff that, and, and very frankly, what we're giving you is what I call uh, all the benefits of a turnkey business system. We give people over a 1,000 pages of systems and procedures, and it's on CD-ROM. So in other words, now if you're running an IAQ company 
you can go in and pull out any one of these procedures on payroll, on uh, employee reviews, on sales, on marketing, and go and do a cut and paste word search and replace because it's written in Microsoft Word, and bang, you're, you're set up because the basic concepts don't change. It's one of working with the emotions of the customer and having the infrastructure in place on a day-to-day basis so you have critical mass. So the chances of us developing a specific program for a specific segment of the industry is slim uh, simply because we're pretty well tapped out at eight seminars a year and we sell out every seminar months in advance. So what we do is we're going to give you the 1,000 pages of procedures and then let you go in and in your computer adapt it to fit your particular business. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, Steve, um, are you a believer in salary or performance-based employee compensation? Hmm. Yeah, it depends on the business. Okay. It really does, and it depends on what you're doing. For example, in my business, we had to do, we had to be so many different things to so many different people because we were in a, we were in a very small market base. It just wasn't practical. On the other hand, and my guess is for most people in restoration, it's going to be the same thing. How the problem is if you start basing everything on commission then in, in production, pretty soon employees are going, hey, hey wait a minute, Boy, how come Charlie got the sweet one? Uh, and, and you're putting me over in the Class 3 uh, Blackwater, and I'm going to lose money today. It, it just got too weird. What we did, we did a, a combination thing where it, we paid people very generously by the hour, but if they were able to add on selling to anything, they received a commission. And then in addition, if we called them out after hours work, and a lot of our a lot of our listeners are doing that, you know, honestly, reward your people really well because you should be charging a premium for after hours work. Uh, what we did, whenever we called out our people when they were on call, first of all, we gave them an on-call bonus on a rotating basis just for being available, whether they got called out or not. In addition, if they got called out, automatically they were on double time, and they got a three-hour minimum. Even if the job took an hour, they got a three-hour pay at double time. If the call was after, I believe, 10 o'clock at night, they got triple time. And you know what? I was delighted to pay that because I was up charging too. So essentially for me and for most of our strategies members, I find unless they're doing specific things. For example, if you have a crew that is banging out a part, residential apartment carpet cleaning, pay them on commission because it's going to motivate them to slam through the job. But for most people in restoration, the last thing you want to do is motivate your employees to slam through the job because that's going to come back and bite you later with the homeowner and the adjuster. Okay. Well, I think we're running out of time. We're probably going to go into our roundup at this point. So everyone just hang on.
Okay, I think the order for our roundup, all right, we're going to go to Dieter first, then to Joe, then to Annie, and uh, I'll end it. Okay, Dieter, any uh, questions or comments? Do, do we have a half an hour? <laughs> <laughs> uh, may I suggest to uh, Steve, uh, the next time, instead he take a six-shooter to take an eight-shooter. That always works better. <laughs> um, I'll take a nine millimeter Glock. Uh, which one do you want? I have two of them. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I like the uh, Remington High Power nine millimeter better. By the way, it's a nicer looking gun. The Glocks shoot well, but they look like hell. Anyway, uh, it is interesting, and I love this because I went through the same same thing in my life. Steve said. He retired when he was 35. Hell, he didn't retire. He really got started in his life. We, yeah, if you are successful, we are all taught from day one to be on time, work hard and diligently, and work a little bit longer than everybody else, and you know, don't lie and all of that. And then you are whatever, 35, 45, 65, said, now I'm retired. What the hell are you going to do? Yeah, start drinking beer at 6 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. You can't go fishing all day long. You can't go play uh, uh, tennis or or, or, or or what is that other sport with the round ball? Golf, golf it's called, I guess. <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, no. I think he made some very, very interesting points, which I went through, and I get through the technical points too. I was a director at uh, the Bayer Chemical Corporation, and I found it to be very difficult to work with other people because... These goddamn sons of a bitches didn't work the way I wanted them to work. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't a good guy with the bullwhip, and I guess that's called managing. Um, so um, I, uh, I had a problem over there, and I had a problem firing people. I didn't want to hurt anybody, even though they were hurting the company, they were hurting my department, and nobody really was behind me. He touched on that, and I think you got to learn how to fire the wrong people. I yeah, think I, I agree. I agree. In fact, there's, I, I always tell our strategies people when they attend the seminar two things. A, go back and raise your prices. 90% of the people out there don't charge enough. Two, go back and fire at least one person in your company. Well, because I we did, put up and now I'm by myself, and I'm doing quite well. <laughs> Miraculously. Um, the, the other thing is I worked uh, for a large uh, a, a corporation, and we had this, and you touched on that too, and we called it management by objective. Gee, how the heck can I tell on September of this year what the heck is going to happen on September in 2010? There's nothing wrong with having plans and ideas, and I guess you do that in your seminars. That, hey, damn it, sit down and write it down and, and, and work with it, I can understand that. On the other hand, you made I think you made another wonderful point, and that's why I think I am successful. I get many phone calls from lawyers, uh, mainly from lawyers and other people, and uh, they talk to me for 15, 20 minutes about this and that, an indoor air problem and that and that and that. I don't send them a bill. Said, how much do I owe you? I said, I said, the next time you see me, buy me a beer and hell with it. You've got to give a little bit away before you make the money. 
I know they're going to come back because they think I'm a nice guy. I didn't screw them. And I have, unfortunately, I have, you know, and I get a little bit upset about that, an, an, an accountant, every time I talk to him for uh, one minute, he charges me 15 minutes. Yeah. I guess those are company rules. So, yeah. okay, we got this one out of the way. Now, the other thing is uh, what uh, Andy said. Uh, he was in there, and I don't know whether you listened to us uh, last week, and I told somebody, I am not going to throw away my psychometric chart. <laughs>